What up, guys and girls? It's Bobby. And Sean. Sorry for the delay last week. Sean and I were both pretty busy, so couldn't get on the on the phone to chat. So coming to you a week late, but still as, you know, awesome as ever, I guess. And it's the most wonderful time of the year, Bobby. I have not had a PSL yet. Oh, God. You know what? That that disappoints me more than you saying, it's the open season. I'm more excited. For, I'm definitely more excited for the open season than I am for pumpkin spice latte season. I'll be honest. Well, I just poured some of the pumpkin spice creamer into my coffee, which will be most delicious. It's not plant-based, though. Hey, I'm going to go vegan again. What's up? Are you actually seriously doing that? I don't know. I think I'm probably going to go plant-based to the extent that I don't eat meat. I don't know if I want to give up, like, cheese because the nutritional yeast is not Oh, yeah. That stuff is super gross. Yeah. It was... I remember making a vegan mac and cheese back during Triple C and... It's just like this is awful. Yeah, I I thought about doing plant beds for a while too. Did I ever tell you that? Like last year, this time around, this time last year. No, I don't remember that. Yeah, well, it was a th- it was an idea I toyed with a little bit. Uh, not so much from a health perspective, but more so from an environmental perspective. Dude, that is literally one of the reasons why I finally said, "Okay, I'm gonna do this." Yeah. Because I watched the documentary Game Changers. Uh huh. I think that's what it was. Um, it was just on iTunes, and I said, I've got nothing else to do right now. I'm going to watch this. And the amount of environmental impact yeah. caused by livestock is just, it's awful. Oh, yeah. So I was like, all right, well, I can make like a small change. Yeah. No, I feel kind of the same way, but uh, I haven't quite transitioned over to the pl- uh, the plant-based diet yet. More so not because of like uh, like dietary things, just that a lot of the stuff that I've noticed with a lot of vegan stuff that's like super processed, like the uh, like the Impossible Burger. Like if you read the ingredients for the Impossible Burger, there's so much shit in there. It's like I don't know if it's you're really doing yourself a favor by eating that stuff, you know? Oh, it's so high in salt and fat. Yeah, it's like and it's but like fake that, fat. <laughs> yeah, it's fake. I. I'm primarily right now, I just went shopping yesterday without doing much research on what I was actually going to make for food and just have a lot of variety of beans. Yeah. Um, And I've got some tofu Uh and, you know, different types of rice. Yeah. And then I'm just going to like sauce it up and make it tasty. I mean, you got to fuel the body though. Yeah. I would try uh, some tempeh. Have you looked at tempeh yet? You're the second person to mention tempeh. When I did this for like six months back in 2017, I didn't even touch tempeh. Yeah. I had no idea what it was. I was strictly like on tofu. And then now I'm looking, there's like tempeh bacon yeah, and a whole bunch of other really cool stuff. Dude, not gonna lie. Tempeh is not too bad. Like I've been, I eat it every now and then just to try to go some plant-based every so often. Because my issue is just like getting the protein in, you know. And obviously, with like plant-based foods, you're not really getting the highest protein levels in. So that, that was yeah, the thing. recovery recovery can be pretty difficult. But that's why here's the plug: check out Paragon Recovery. Use the code Cronus 
if you're a member of law enforcement or uh, firefighting communities, contact them from Wear Great Savings. They sponsor the podcast. Yeah. Uh, but uh, before we got a little, di- little, little uh, non-secretary, uh, what were you using for protein or re- for recovery? Uh, what was I using for protein? Yeah, yeah, you were talking about like the plant-based diet and how it affects your recovery because you're not able to eat as much protein. Oh, no. I mean, one of the things that people talk about is like not having enough protein uh, in their diet, which apparently has been a marketing ploy for why you need to eat meat from these conglomerates, these corporations uh, that own all of the meat industry. Yeah. And when you look globally at countries that consume like a tenfold less amount of meat than Americans, they're still meeting all of their protein requirements uh-huh. by eating plants and by eating like a very small source of, uh, you know, animal product. What about fish? How do you feel about fish? I don't know how I feel about fish. I, uh, that one's more, I think, of uh, like because of overfishing. I'm just not a huge fan. I don't eat that much fish to begin with. Yeah. Um, with the amount of plastic that's in the water, too, I'm a little hesitant now more so than ever just because I don't know where that fish is being sourced. If, you know, it's really good. I mean, if you if you look, too, at some of the fish farms i mean it's absolutely disgusting it's yeah. like they're swimming in their own filth yeah but that's why i shop at whole foods and they do responsibly farmed fish but i'm also like kind of bougie with my food anyway so i will not go into detail about my eating habits you know what the speaking of responsibly farmed that's like using the term experimental there are whole cases that have been set aside in courts around the country specifically for the use of words like that and like to what extent you can use them oh yeah yeah yeah. for promotions yeah so i would also you know advise individuals that just because it says something like naturally sourced or free range there are limitations and requirements to the use of that word and you know you should be aware that people that are using them are doing the bare minimum to ensure that they can keep using that marketing term. Oh, yeah. I know that's the same thing with, like, eggs. Like, if you, like, look at the, your egg cartons, they have, like, what, like, cage-free, vegetarian feed, uh, you know, like, free roam and all this other shit. But, like, I actually Googled it one day. I was like, what, do the, what does all this shit mean? And it's, like, pretty much similar to what you were just saying, that it's just, like, regulated to the extent so they can only say certain things and then like they put stuff on there that isn't really like a qualify for eggs like all all like uh um uh not cows fucking chicken chicken are always fed a vegetarian diet like they're not given you know anything else and then something like chicken breast and chicken meat like the one that said antibiotic free like by law chicken has to be antibiotic free so I was like, it's all like marketing ploys to try to make you think you're eating healthier, but it's just like the bare minimum or not even healthier. It's just marketing saying something. Well, that's if you've watched uh, Mad Men. There was an episode where Don Draper is talking to one of the big tobacco companies, and he says, hey, talk me through the process and how you make your tobacco. And he goes, oh, we toast it. And he goes, that's it. You guys are toasted. And he goes, 
well, every other company toasts their tobacco too. And he goes, no, but nobody says that they've done it. Yeah. When you say it, yeah. it sounds special. Yeah. So you guys are toasted. It's just, how dumb are you? I mean, it's the whole point of marketing. Well, yeah, that's marketing, but that's a whole different dig- like digression to talk about. Um, Dude, I want to talk about the open. Yeah. How did you feel doing 20.1? What did you think of the open announcement? What are your tips and secrets going forward? Are you going to do it again? Go. So for everyone that's listening, this is Friday night about 6 p.m. So I did the open workout Friday morning at the 6 o'clock class at my CrossFit gym. Uh, I'll backtrack to the open announcement. I watched the Rogue Iron Game announcement. I was like, whatever. I mean, like the show beforehand talking about like the strong man. Oh, and Katie Nye, dude, her voice... I did not know she had a lisp like that. That's an aggressive lisp. But uh, I thought it was a good, I mean, it was a fine show. I like didn't really care about it. And obviously, you're, you're just watching it just so you can watch the announcement. Uh, so I watched that part. They announced it, and I was I'm not like a huge fan of the workout to be honest. I think it's a good measure of like I mean, I like for people that are strong enough to like power snatch the 95 pound bar. It becomes just a workout of how fast you can do bar, like bar facing burpees, uh, and it's like a very I think it's a decent anaerobic test of like your anaerobic capacity and your ability to cycle something quickly. Uh, I'm just not a huge fan of the workout itself because it's like it doesn't it doesn't require much like it doesn't delineate between people. It's like that one open workout that's just burpees. Like, I mean, this workout is essentially just burpees. Like the the power snatches shouldn't really are just like a, a nuisance for the more advanced, like moderate to advanced lifters that can just power snatch out. And that war- it's like not really doesn't add anything to the workout necessarily. Cause like everyone can cycle bar about the same space, about the same speed. And it just comes down to how fast you can do your bar facing burpees. Uh, so when I did it this morning, I wanted, my plan was to shoot for 11 minutes. Uh, so I timed it. So I like paced it out. So 11 minutes. Uh, so that's 660 seconds divide by 10 so i need to be going at about a 66 seconds per round which is a minute and six seconds so i held that pace uh that was my original like strategy was to pace it that way and my strategy was to go unbroken touch and go power slash muscle snatching uh the 95 and then just kind of holding a pace steady pace on the burpees so i did that for the first like five rounds i had like a 105 to 108 pace between my rounds uh based on what uh somebody told me so i had that for the first five rounds and then about the sixth round, I kind of just fucking like hit the wall. And I was like, oh no. Uh, my hip flexors started blowing up because uh, I think I wasn't very, um, I was muscle snatching too much and I wasn't like uh, power snatching very well. So I think I probably could save my hip flexors a little bit by power snatching versus muscle snatching. And then uh, I also did step up burpees. Uh, so I did all step ups with my left leg. So my left leg hip flexor got super fucking tired um, by like round six, the point that I just started doing regular burpees where I just jumped back up and that seemed to save my hip flexors a little bit. Uh, and then I just kind of like shit the shit the bed and like went to like a 130, 145 pace for the, like the last four rounds. And the last round I finished like a minute for a time of 1241. Uh, it's a pretty shitty workout. I'm not going to lie. I think I uh, kind of underestimated it. Uh Cause I thought I kind of uh, thought it'd be like 10 minutes is like a pretty good score uh, for one minute, like a minute per round would be pretty intense to hold. Uh, but 
It was, uh, it was a shitty workout. I felt like ass afterwards. I think uh, usually like when I finish a, a MetCon, I kind of like just like walk around and like kind of calm down a little bit. Uh, so, but I guess that's, that's in training. So I'm not going like a hundred percent training. So I do like, I'm not at that red line. Uh, but today I was at the red line. Like I finished the last burpee and just like laid on the ground for like five minutes, got up, walked outside and like dry heat for a couple minutes. And then like, it took me about like 30 minutes for my heart rate to come back down. So it was pretty like pretty balls light up for me. Uh, all things considered, because I usually never reach that 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 zone of uh intensity so it was, it was a good workout i thought uh some tips moving forward i kind of posted a little bit uh on today's workout but you should definitely pace it a lot more aggressively than you think you should uh like do a couple of rounds and warm-ups or not even a warm-up just try it out like do like four or five rounds and just see how you feel after five rounds at a certain pace and then you can try to like adjust your pacing based on that um <clears throat> And then you want to start kind of a slower pace and then build a pace in the back half. Uh, you, if you're not able to uh, power snatch uh, or muscle snatch all unbroken, uh, I would consider doing um, touch and go clean and jerks at 95. Uh, it's a little bit slower, but you won't, uh, won't you won't be forced to break uh, if you're not able to power snatch for all 10 rounds unbroken. Um, and then just be cons- not consistent, but just be efficient in your transitions. Like once you jump over the bar, the burp, the bar for the last burpee, and then immediately just turn around and pick up the bar and just start going. Like don't waste time in transitions. Uh, it's a short enough workout that you just you just literally just have to press and go and just just keep pushing it. So that's like my uh, my advice. One thing that I've seen with a lot of the. CrossFit athletes that have started to post their scores or their videos. And one of the things that I've disliked the most about the open programming with movements like the burpee is it's almost impossible to enforce a strict standard. You go and you read the rules and they say you have to be perpendicular to the bar. You have to leave the ground off of two feet. You can land on the other side of the bar on one foot or however. But when you start the burpee, you have to be perpendicular again. And that also means that when you start it and you're in the process of jumping, you should be facing it. Yeah. But you see like elite level guys that are doing this weird thing where they're taking off, their hips are turned. So it's almost like doing a lateral burpee and then they spin in midair. Um, guys will step up. I, I remember when, you know, doing burpees for the first time back in like 2010, the burpee was like a jump up to your feet and your hands and standing up and jumping up. There was no option to like step up with one foot yeah. and this like efficient movement. And then with the bar movement, I completely agreed with your point that you made. It doesn't really do anything to the workout because unless you're seven feet tall competing against the guy that's five feet tall, yeah, right, right. that cycle speed isn't going to be that much different. I mean, 17.1, you had all the individual one-arm snatches, the 10 to 50 on that ladder, yeah. but it was the burpees that made a real difference. And then that just came down to guys figuring out what they could do within the rules of CrossFit, not standing up on the box or just touching the box and, you know, landing on the other side versus planting their feet on it. So I'm, I dislike when the open introduces things like this where people can easily point to 
you know, what's fair and what's an unfair standard for coaching uh, and judging versus something simple like you have to do 50 cows on the row. I think it was like 17, two or three a couple years ago. It was just like, hey, the only standard that's questionable here is the handstand push-up, but the deadlifts, the row, the wall balls, you you really can't cheat that. I I wish CrossFit would keep doing that because when they go to the games, they don't do any of these weird movements because they know that they'd have a a whole bunch. Yeah, they'd have a whole bunch of judging errors and questions if they included burpees. But let's do it for the open. Right, right, right. Yeah. And... I think that just the thing that's just like a fact of the open too, because there's no real enforcement. Um, I mean, you have like your coaches that are supposed to judge you, but at the end of the day, like I don't know that many coaches that are gonna like take like a you know like a take like a fifty year old lady that just does cross for fun. He's gonna like destroy her score because she's not doing the movement right. You know, like I find hard to believe a lot of coaches are gonna like just shoot down their members because they're not doing the movement correctly and they're not trying to go to the games which is doing for fun but then you can talk about like the culture and like you know upholding the standard whatever i don't know the open is the open i don't put a lot of like thought into it i just do the workouts it's kind of fun talk shit to people and then kind of go from there so you know i think just that's just with the open then i think it's uh also interesting that uh when people qualify directly out of the open, uh, it's also interesting to see their their games performance. Because in the past, you know, the open qualified for you for regionals, and then if you did well at regionals, then you go to the games. So there was like a testing period between the open and the games. Now with this new system, it's just you can go straight from the open to the games. So it's like uh, you can definitely figure out ways to kind of cheat the system. But on game day, you know, you can't really cheat on game day. And it's well, who very was evident. it last year? Was it was it Del Spiegel that was like the number one woman uh, for the United States as the United States champion, and that's how she qualified for the games. And then, like day two of the the competition, she was eliminated. And it was like, well, is this a situation where the programming at the games uh, was inconsistent with her train up or? Was this one of those, if we had had a different standard to enter the games, would she really have been as highly ranked or come in on, you know, with such expectations that she had going into, you know, potentially finishing in the top 10? Right. I think I just pulled it up on my phone. She was number five in the open, looks like. No, that's number five in the first. Hold on. Let me see if I can find the entire leaderboard. Yeah, but and but either way, like she, you know, did well on the open and then kind of like shit the bed in the games because what was it the first like several events were all like cardiovascular events, like long, slow, and dist like endurance events. I don't know. I think that's what CrossFit should do more of. The whole point of being fit and something that Dave Castro seemed to increase every single game since like 2013 and 14 were these military-esque events. Yeah. And whether you look at what they did at Pendleton to like a run-swim-run to this paddleboard to obstacle courses to the ruck last year, it just seems like we're moving towards, okay, clearly this guy was an instructor at Bud's and one of the 
pinnacles of fitness is being able to move your body at a distance with some unknown element. And I really like that idea. I mean, I think it's one of, for us, you know, the elements that we have when we program our military prep and the functional fitness, because at the end of the day, our athletes are going out there and performing military jobs and they, they've got a profession that requires more of a, of a cardio base. I think CrossFit is moving in that direction, but when we do stuff that's so heavily now focused on gymnastics and strength, it kind of, it's been getting away from that so people can like really define a wheelhouse and just get lucky with programming. Yeah, but I think that's also CrossFit's thing too, because in the past it used to be like the super high, it used to be just be super high intensity. But the only reason why they cardio like the endurance events kind of came about is because Dave Cash started putting them in the games, and some people are like, "Oh shit, that means now we need to be good at running long distances too." So I think it's just like uh, it's just like the the arms race, the CrossFit arms race, of finding the next like thing to get better at because, uh, and like the next thing that Dave Cash will come up with at the games that kind of drives like CrossFit the CrossFit programming and CrossFit culture, like you know. Like everyone is like kind of training for the games, and because people try to look at the games as like what you know CrossFit should be like, that kind of like trickles down to to people training, and then that's how I guess they can adjust um, their focuses in training. So I don't think it's bad thing they go long slow and just like the endurance stuff. I think obviously it's a facet of fitness. You talk about like the uh, components of fitness. I don't know. I can't tell. I can't quote that shit anymore. Like nine. You know, I'm talking about like the nine domains of fitness that glassman talks about and like endurance is one of the events you know so well yeah i mean that's within his 100 uh word essay that we've got hanging up in our living room because we're brutal uh one of the pieces is being able to pick up kind of any sport and being able to perform and doing something different every single day which i think is absolutely awesome when they throw that cycle event in and then they have the road bike event, and they've got more running and the obstacle course work. I think it's just forcing people to do new things. So year in, year out, we don't get what was maybe like a 2011 through 2014, 15 style. Everyone knows exactly what is going to be tested at the CrossFit Games. Now you can assume that a third of your events are going to be completely unknown because it could be a 5k run it could be a marathon row i mean you're going to you're going to have your body absolutely destroyed by some sort of aerobic event that you really unless you get lucky aren't going to have programmed yeah and i think it's very important to talk about the sport aspect like uh you know at the end of the day crossfit was never meant to be a, its own sport it was just meant to be a conditioning way to get better at you know at sports <laughs> no absolutely so i think it's just kind of ironic that you know, CrossFit was founded on making better athletes, and then no one actually does athletic things besides CrossFit. Well, speaking of, like, some athletic stuff with CrossFit in the military uh, crossover, I was watching something that Noah Olson had put out, you know, about being positive, and he's reading from his journal, and it I think the production is pretty bad, but they showed a clip from the games last year where they were rucking. And I've never seen one of these bags in person, but the Go Ruck backpack. Yeah. Yeah. It lo looks like a backpack. It is I a, don't. It is a backpack. 
but aren't they like super expensive too? You're just paying for the fact that it says go wreck on it, man. Uh, I don't want to. I mean, like I can get started on the go wreck like that culture. I think that's stupid, but uh, I mean, it's good marketing, you know. People want to say that you know they're oh, harder. it's fantastic marketing. Yeah. I mean, I remember when they were starting to get on social media, people like always posting that they went to this event, and there's always some asshole that's carrying like a flag with a bandana on Dude, that's it's so bad if you're wearing like yeah. a flick. But I'd always wondered what kind of bags. I mean, because like you had a Molly Ruck, uh, we had the Alice Pack. There were the other rucks that you could. I can't. And I, I can't remember the company, but a lot of guys went and got them because you could personalize them off of a single frame and add extra pouches. And the bottom line was a lot of these rucks had really good frames, so you could yeah. load them up with significant weight, but you could still run with them. Or even your hiking bags that you can get at REI, LL Bean. Um, they all have like a different frame, but I look at these and I'm like, that's just a backpack. And I imagine no, like I putting know. mine on and just running with it. Like if you're listening and you do our military prep stuff, um, next cycle will be more rucking uh, than this last 10 week cycle. Make sure you have a ruck that you're doing it in. If you only have a backpack, do not do it. Like I don't want you blowing up your shoulders and your lower back for a weird piece of fabric that it is not, uh, built at all with what you're going to be using when you go to a selection or school. Yeah. I mean, you got to train with what you are going to be using. You got to train for the task. But it just looked like so painful. These guys were oh yeah, dude. tearing up their lower backs. I mean, the, the stuff was bouncing. They couldn't get it high up on their back. Um, it, it wasn't, it's not like very modular. I, I didn't, I didn't understand that. I don't know if that was a weird segue with the sport thing, but I, I just watched that and I was like, you know, we program for movements like that. Make sure you guys use the right equipment. Yeah, but I think, obviously, I think the go right thing is like a marketing thing because uh, I know Rogue is not a partner with them and shit, and they're like a sponsor for the games too. So obviously there's some like marketing going on behind there. Yeah, that's true. I mean, and then... Also, CrossFit just announced a whole bunch of new uh, individuals that have failed the drug standards. Yep, yep, yep. Um, that I love reading those things every single year with their I excuses. I, what's your like, favorite excuse? Uh, what's her face? Emily Abbott. I kissed my fiance who was taking this stuff. Get the fuck out of here. Wasn't her husband uh, well, doing like Endurable, like doing it, like doing it sublingually? And then she said, claimed that he did it and then kissed her and then transferred some of the fucking Endurable into her mouth. And that's how she pissed hot. I'm like, get the yeah, fuck then, out of here. And then also through sexual acts. Yeah. Uh, it was yeah. transmitted. It was either her or a weightlifter. Yeah. That had made the same claim that somehow it, the fluid. There was one guy that tested for Endurable this year said that he stopped taking it two years ago and had no idea that it could stay in his body for that long. Like get get out. Are you serious? Yeah. That's your best that's your best excuse. At least he admitted to using it. I mean that's like a that's a plus one in my book that he actually admitted to using Endurable. But I, don't I can't know. stand the, the tainted I can't the tainted yeah. substance. Like I accidentally took this substance that I'm not gonna tell you about. Like who the fuck cares? Like, 
it doesn't yeah, fucking affect the fact that you still took it. Like you should know that you know if you're fucking competing in a drug tested sport, you should probably know everything you're putting in your body. And there are plenty of supplements out there that are NSF uh, certified that are safe for sport and tested to be safe for sport and third party verified to be safe for sport. You should probably be paying the extra like ten bucks it is to pay for that like label and not you know getting sponsored by some random fucking supplement company that buys a shit from China. Like that's probably not in your best interest as an athlete to begin with. And these these fake Instagram taking responsibility posts where they don't take responsibility. It's but I ha- I should know what I'm putting in my body, but I will fight this and I you know, I want to look at what these companies were putting in and the question was, well, why don't you just name the company? Because if you name the company, it doesn't really do anything legally for you in the case that you should probably be able to prove if you're going to name them. Yeah, if, it's all bullshit, man. If, if you were taking something from a legal standpoint that was tainted, the companies that you're buying from have a duty to ensure that what they're putting in there complies with the Food and Drug Administration. If they don't, then they've breached that. And the elements for negligence are like, hey, was there a duty by this company? You should argue, yes. Did that company breach that duty? Well, if you can prove greater or more likely than 50.000.1% that they did breach that duty by including this, and then you were injured, and that injury could be in the form of some sort of sanction that's been created because you tested positive for a drug, then you can go to court and you can get some money back in the form of damages for your loss of wages for future performances or, you know, an income or being fined. But not listing them or saying their names doesn't prevent you from doing any of that because if you did anyway go to court with them, they're going to have a period of discovery where they're going to go and get this information And then they're going to have to determine, okay, was this one specific substance that you were taking the factual cause? And then you have to do something which you can call like the but-for test. But for taking this substance, would I have still had this in my system? And if you can't say for sure yes, because you bring an expert witness, usually from the industry, that says, we definitely know that Endurable was being put into name this random creatine source, then you're, you're completely fucked. But none of these people can do that, and so they just leave it very, you know, ambiguous as to what they were taking, or excuse me, vague as to what they were taking, and it's just, it creates this this dishonest culture, and just accept that you messed up. Like, nobody cared who you were anyway, and in three years, no one's going to remember your name because you weren't on the podium. Just don't be an asshole. Nobody's, nobody cares about the blue check mark that you have. Or the 25 likes that you got for some random sad sob story for why you were taking this in the first place two years ago. Yeah, but the issue with that, I would say, is that it costs money to go to court. And most CrossFit athletes are, like, at the poverty level, I would say. You know? Yeah, but when you go to court, lawyers know that. So you, you sign, like, binders that say, if we win this case, you can get up to, like, 30% of my damages. That's how like class action lawsuits operate where firms will take a cut of whatever they earn. The only thing that you might be at stake for is like court costs if you lose, if they want to say, hey, this is a waste of our time. 
but even looking at that, you can have like a motion for summary judgment um, that would come out from the defendant there if they can prove that because of proximate cause, their product is not responsible for your injury, then you don't ever even get to court and you're not assuming that many costs. So they're making it within the legal field so that it's not cost prohibitive to really go after someone that did demonstrate negligence. So for that, I would also argue the opposite. Legal system makes it so you can go after people that are tortfeasors. These crossfitters are just full of shit. All right, long legal discussion tangent, but yeah, I think we are on the same page that if you you know test positive, you should probably just own up to it because you took something bad. Yeah, it's like the guy when you come in on a Monday morning or you get dragged in on a Sunday afternoon to find out that one of your dudes was driving the wrong way down the street on post because he was completely drunk. And then when you sit down and say, why'd you do it? Oh, I wasn't that drunk. I don't know why I got pulled over. Okay, we're going to have an even worse time now because I'm wasting my Sunday because you make me do paperwork. Yeah, bottom line, just own up to it, be an adult, and then... If you want to take substances, just be smart. Yes. Anyways, what else? Uh, what else is going on, bro? I want to pick your brain about the ongoing stuff in China. Uh, okay. What do you think of like the explosion of like? basketball over there oh yeah oh you are you talking about the whole nba silencing them thing yes exactly okay so honestly like the thing with china is that uh on like so i think there's multiple levels that you can look at it you can look at it on like a political standpoint that you know they're communist and shit you can look at it like on a global relations or international relations standpoint so that you know china is like our probably like our number one uh direct competitor for global hegemony um and that you could also argue that china is like that china's power and reach is going to surpass america's pretty shortly uh so i think it's kind of smart that we that america shouldn't piss off china because uh i mean that's how our foreign policy with china has always been it's always been like you know china you can like kind of do your own thing as long as you like don't fuck with us we're not gonna fuck with you type thing you know but just with how, you know, I don't I mean, there's so many levels to it. I don't know, like, how to really get into that. Okay. Well, so from the perspective of, you know, the idea when we make something in the United States, knowing that it's going to be marketed over there, I mean, they wanted to completely cut ties with the entirety of the NBA. Yeah. Because of a tweet from the Houston Rockets owner. Yeah. And that's the thing with China, but that's like Chinese culture too. It's just that, uh, and that that's the kind of their political climate and culture that they have literally the power to do that in their government. Like they can do whatever they fuck, what, literally whatever they want. And with, you know, the economic ties, especially like the NBA, I, I don't know like the statistics, but I'm sure like China makes up like a pretty significant market for nba like i like i remember when i was when i was in china as a kid like there's always basketball on television and when yao ming played i'm sure that he was like probably sold a billion 
a billion jerseys in China. <laughs> you know what I mean? Literal. Literal billion. So it's like the economic, it's like not, I mean, there's political ramifications, but I think most people nowadays are more concerned about the economic ramifications of pissing off China. Like they're what, like the biggest consumer of American goods too. They contribute direct, like, you know, it's like, you know what I mean? Oh, I, I think it's absolutely tied economically when they were talking about the fallout from China removing all NBA sponsorships yeah. and promotions. It was going to reduce like the salary cap for NBA teams by fifteen percent. Yeah, like it's significant. But that's just like a example of how, like the I guess the larger role that China's playing, especially with the whole Hong Kong uh, protests and. I don't know. It's a very. I don't know. Like it's just a, such a super complex topic, uh, and I know a little bit about it, but I'm not. I don't feel like nearly educated or informed enough to talk super in depth about it. Oh yeah, I just wanted to get get your opinion on it because it's just like it's getting bigger and bigger. And yeah. then, like South Park has just done two episodes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Where they talk about it. and I and I remember the last couple of years watching like the Hollywood movies and be like, man, we have so many like landscape shots right now with voiceover that's more like a this is just we're including some narration from a random actor some like you know somebody that sounds very noble and heroic giving us the backstory and then finding out that that's also so when it goes over to China into these foreign markets that's easier to translate into their story mode so they don't have to do so much as, you know, the voiceover costs and yeah. all of these other action shots. And I was like, that's really interesting. I wonder where that's going to go. And now we fast forward to 2019, and I think you see it more and more with shows and with movies. I mean, But to what extent do you think, and China aside, but with other nations like, you know, Saudi Arabia, if we have such a large market presence or market uh, reliance on these companies, when do we have to stop with some of the freedoms that make us uniquely American. Where do you think we draw the line on that? I don't know. I mean, with, I guess, like, American foreign policy, too, it's like we're becoming more isolationist. Uh, and I think that's very, I mean, this is coming from, from fucking Bobby. Like, you know, this is just my views. I think it's a very, uh, it's not the right approach to, uh, like, the right foreign policy stance to take in this international and uh, in this world right now. Like we're getting closer and closer, like everyone's getting closer and closer. Everything's getting tied and tighter and tighter. And then if, if you know if we're not going to extend relations to other people, who's gonna step in and take these take this role? And that's gonna be China. Like you can see it already in China. Like uh, the New Silk Road. You are you, are you familiar with that New Silk Road? Oh yeah, I talked about that. Uh, I think on a podcast maybe two months ago mm. and uh, the Pakistani uh, involvement and what that's going to mean with uh, China leasing these ports oh, yeah, 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 to yeah, pay yeah. back yeah, the yeah, debt. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, that is, like, China's playing fucking, like, 4D chess right now. You know what I mean? Like, but that's also how Chinese culture is because, you know, in America, our presence only lasts for four, maybe eight years. That's four or eight years to, like, lead some change. In China, you have the fucking like the secretary general or whatever the position is, or the chairman of the PRC. That dude's in there for fucking thirty years. Like these people lead. Like it's they have long term plans that I don't quite think that Americans can really understand. You know, like literally playing like well, forty chess. 
it, it's it's also really it's kind of impressive because they're doing what the Soviet Union failed to do. Yeah. Because I think of the efficiencies that probably come from some of that cultural aspect yeah. that you were mentioning. The Soviet Union, they had a central planning board that determined their economic output. China realizes that it can't yeah. be so blockheaded with its economic policy that it, it avoids all the capital markets. So it says, okay, we're going to play within these, but we're going to be able to tweak our currency way more than the Soviet Union could. So when we go and we get into every one of these industries, whether it's like rare earth metals, uh, metals in like Afghanistan, which they own like most yeah. of the rights for, yeah, which yeah. I had no idea. Yeah, man, it's crazy. You look at Africa with what they're doing. Yeah. I mean, they are playing the long game yeah, man. in this, and we're not. And one of the things that always frustrated me is we look at our competitors and Places like China and Russia, we, for a very strange reason as Americans, have this, we're better than them, like xenophobic yeah. approach because they might have some different cultural perspectives, uh -huh. whether that's based on human rights or the freedoms that we have in America that they don't have. And I always say to that, well, you don't seem to have a problem with like Saudi Arabia or some of these African nations that have significant human rights violations, yeah. but because we're not direct competitors with them, we just let them off the hook. Why is it that we only look at human rights violations in China and Russia because they're a near-peer threat as being something that all of a sudden makes them a foe instead of an ally? Right, right, right. Yeah. I don't know. But... If you guys want to read a great book, I think uh, I think it's called China Rising. Um, it's like 2013, yeah, 2012. It it talks about like their real estate boom. Um, I think it's it's going to be really interesting to see what happens over the yeah. next couple of years. Because for as much as President Trump says that we're going to work out some sort of deal, which has been like an ongoing thing now for two and a half years, President Xi can just sit there and go, "Oh yeah, I'll wait." Either a year or five years, because I'm not going. You're anywhere. not gonna. I, I'm not going anywhere. I don't have a term limit, bro. Yeah, yeah, man, it's crazy. And then, uh, but there is interesting too. It's not all like all rose-colored glasses in China too. Like their housing market is supposed to bu that bubble is supposed to pop soon. So they have like severe issues of their own. But I think it's also just uh, just speaks to like american culture and educational or awareness maybe of international stuff that they just don't understand or really see like the reasons why like we do certain things in an international scale absolutely and when you talk about like the housing bubble they're breaking one of the things that they do for infrastructure is based on every single one of their provinces and then like the the smaller districts is any infrastructure project that takes off is usually at the request of the individuals that live there, and then they're the ones that are funding it. So the government will say, we will build this for you, or we will begin construction of this for you, but it's come it's coming directly out of the taxes from your area. You will have to repay this loan to the government in order for us to start this build. It's like on the idea of microfinance and communal huh. lending, yeah. and then you use uh, some game theory to determine the probability that you're going to lose out on a loan 
uh, what you have to take for collateral. I mean, it's all really interesting stuff. And, and people like uh, McKinsey on China uh, is a great podcast that talks about it. They've been talking about it for years. But at the edge, it's like, it's just different cultures. So yeah. for, for being a country that is so based on this idea of being a, a melting pot, I think it's going to be really hard in the future if America diverges significantly from some of these countries where we have so many immigrants, now Americans from, how can you really cut the umbilical cord there to say, listen, we understand that's where you come from, but we can't, we can't say that they're our enemy. We can't cut ties with them completely as a government trading just because they have some human rights violations. I think it's a, it's going to be something from an international relations standpoint that's going to be very difficult to balance. Yeah. And you know, you think about it, like, uh, like you were saying about becoming more closed minded in America, you can talk about like how we're not allowing people to come to America, like allowing as many people to come to America, as many immigrants, you know, you know, talk about like a group think and like, uh, not bringing in new ideas or new cultures. Like this is just all going to get worse, you know? Yeah. And I would also remind like the listeners out there to look back at maybe some of the difficulties that the like white Anglo-Saxon immigrants had in getting to America, and then really how much of a challenge do they have once they entered the borders. So it's kind of like a Europeans had a an early ticket into the United States, and then now that America is shifting culturally and we're getting you know immigrants from all around the world that are looking different, it's like, why are we making it now so much more difficult for them to become citizens than it was for our ancestors 100, 120 years ago. That's something that we have to come to terms with. Yeah, I don't know. It's a little political. (laughs) I don't don't, don't remember any, like, somewhat impartial, but I don't want to say anything that makes us, uh, that alienates some people. Oh, no, I I think it's, it's like a fun conversation to have. I, I, I only bring it up. I'm I'm looking at some of the clinics that are available here, and, and one of them is the uh, International Refugee Assistance Program. And just thinking back to you know some of the interpreters that I had, and then now doing some more research, it's significantly more difficult, even though for many of them we promised them a ticket into the United States if they helped out. Yeah. It's just now even more difficult because we put a cap on how many are allowed in annually. So it's like we've got partners that you know, kind of like the the Kurds, hey, we're going to help you out. We're going to be here for you. And then all of a sudden we're oh, pulling dude. out. It's like, where's that promise that yeah. we've made? And that's kind of, I don't know. That's just, uh, that's just kind of shitty to be as American. Because isn't that what they talk about? Like soft power, like American soft power. It's like the uh, American ideals, like freedom and democracy and like allies and taking care of people. Yeah, and, and bowing to foreign adversaries is something that Americans don't do. And in Syria, like we still own the airspace. So it's almost like we're playing a game in, and now on this like kind of divergent topic, we're playing a game of chicken with, uh, Erdogan saying, Hey, you want to invade, you want to go take on the Kurds? Well, you can do that, but it's gotta be a ground force because we're not permitting you to enter into the airspace that we're going to control control did they bomb the shit out of that already i saw something they bombed like an sf team or something or bombed Americans. i didn't see i i haven't seen that yet i i really hope they haven't because that is just a level of stupidity and 
that's been a, an ongoing thing. Like Erdogan kind of does the wag the dog, yeah, uh, level of politics over there, saying, "Hey, these Kurdish separatist groups that are tied to this terrorist group are indirectly tied to the fighters that the Americans are supporting against Assad." So it's all these weird. Like if you were to put up one of those big cork boards and just start putting strings everywhere, everyone is somehow connected to another affiliate. And I'm sure we could probably get all this back to somehow being related to CrossFit. <laughs> but at, like, at, at what point does that foreseeability end and you say, no, like this is where we draw the line. This is exactly what we're going to support. This is our red line. I just think that, that if you fight next you to somebody, you, you owe them something. Yeah. Like if, if <laughs> Afghans put their life on the line for us while we were fighting with them, you can't just ditch them for political reasons here in the United States. It's too late for that, man. It's already happened. And also, the line in the sand thing doesn't exist anymore. Like, we've drawn so many lines in the sand in an international relations. Like, that shit doesn't, that doesn't even hold any weight anymore, drawing a line in the sand. <laughs> yeah, I I think it's sad because it, it's sad. We, we, I agree. We lose some of that that respect internationally yeah, that's when a, a, that's a soft Americans power. say we're going to do something. Yeah. And then we do we it. can't. You can't rely on them. Yeah. Um, but I would also I would also counter that to play devil's advocate with this like never ending war. And so it's like gotten such bipartisan support to stay in Syria. I would say from a moral standpoint, yeah, like we need to help the Kurds. I mean, ma- you can make the argument they need their own state, but that's like yeah, they need their own that country. should be something that yeah. the UN does. That's yeah. not the United States making that decision. But then from another perspective of like this war hawking and the defense uh, industrial complex Military industrial you, complex let's go yeah, you, you look at all these districts that are supported by all of these uh democrats and republicans it's like i i think they're more worried about jobs staying that's a hundred in their district making some random casing for a random round that is never going to get over there but is going to go to training some brand new soldier uh, on the next war. Yeah. So that that is something I think we could argue maybe getting out of those areas sooner uh, does a better service to us because we realize then that all these people are just being funded by, you know, what we could really cut back on anyway. Yeah. And I'm still. This is a kind of tangent, but I'm pretty convinced that there's like an international cabal of like arms, like arms dealers and arms like suppliers that are conspiring, or not even international, just American. All the American manufacturers, they all talk to each other about telling the politicians to go to war with X state just for the military industrial complex. Like how much? How much does the U.S. spend on on defense? Isn't it like five trillion dollars? Yeah, it was, or I think it was like two and a half trillion dollars. Yeah, yeah, it's like I mean, what like thirty four percent of our budget is on defense, right? I don't think it was thirty four percent of our of our budget last year. It was definitely like increase. I mean, that's why Trump wanted the European Union states to increase their budget, like Germany, from two percent of its GDP to like two and a half percent to increase their military presence. I mean, it's just like we're just doing this like arms race thing over. It's like cyclical, but like, what's the what's the purpose behind it? Because right now, yeah, we're maintaining a lead on our closest, you know, quote unquote threat with the, going back to the China Russia thing with some of our technologies. But you know, if maybe we didn't spend 
as much money um, on these wars, that money would actually be benefiting us here in the United States in garrison. I mean, like the last time I was at Bagram, I heard something like it was a two to one ratio between civilians that were in Afghanistan to soldiers that oh, were in yeah, Afghanistan. Yeah, yeah. The boots of the because ground. of all those random admin agencies that were running it and yeah. doing all the contracting, which is just, and you know, they're making more money than the soldiers. Yeah. And more expensive. But it's not boots on the ground. Tax free. And not boots on the ground either. So, no, it's, it's awful. I think there needs to be like, let's not investigate like collusion for the next two years. Let's not investigate biden's son for the next two years i want someone to go and investigate like the real issues that are taking billions of taxpayer dollars that could pay for great infrastructure projects here in the united states or great medical expenses here in the united states um but but aren't because we just we have to send another brigade to go sit on a fob somewhere yeah but that's like the second. What is this? Isn't healthcare like the second largest cost? One of the largest costs in America too. Like shit's fucked up, man. I'm so convinced we uh, need to go to single payer system. No, I would. I would agree. That's something I'm going to talk about on the podcast for the weekly dispatch because there was a town hall last night. At the same time that uh, President Trump had his Minneapolis, you know, uh, event. Um, but Cory Booker mentioned how if you as a drug company don't make your prices affordable, he's going to remove patents that you own. I think Ooh, patents are typically two for like, that'd be five to 10 years. But the problem with that is the reason why people have patents is because the upfront costs of a lot of these projects to develop a new drug are so expensive. The government in the past has provided patents to protect you so that you can recover some of those losses um, and pay back your your stockholders and those that invested in your company for what could be eight billion dollars to develop a new drug yeah and if because of that we now remove a patent then companies are going to be less inclined to take significant investments in developing the next generation of drugs that could you know really radically improve uh, society so I mean that that is a whole nother topic that I, I'm going to talk about a little bit tomorrow. Um, and more to do with what a lot of the Democratic uh, candidates were saying and then kind of contrast that to some of the talking points that President Trump had. Yeah. But it's I mean, it's awful. Money money rules the world. Uh, you know, we should just get rid of it. In Star Trek, they talked about how there is a global good after they developed uh, Warp. Um, and John Luke Picard says, like, they essentially went to a very social-based uh, program on Earth after they developed other relationships with species. So I'm just waiting for that in the next couple of years because uh, we're coming out and saying that Mars has life now. Uh, we're saying there's UFOs. I, I'm just going to wait it out. 20 years from now, none of this is going to matter because my ass is going to be on another solar system's Earth-like planet getting a tan. Yeah. But until then, uh, we're stuck in this environment that we're in. Which I can't really complain about because I'm one in military in the army and two I'm in med school gonna become a doctor so I'm like complicit in the system already so you know yeah I mean and it's you know taking advantage of the opportunities that you have that others don't have and trying to make a difference it's not like you are this selfish individual you're gonna go and try to be a force for good 
while you serve in the military, and then you can take those skills outside to the civilian world um, with some of the the philosophy that you've developed now over the the last couple of decades. Yeah. So I think if more people did that, though, we'd be in a much better situation. Oh, uh, like service in general. Ser- service in general, but you know, going back to the present point that we are in uh, history, it's like we we can look forward to that day where everything works out in the Jean-Luc Picard world. But if you're doing just a little bit now to make things better for somebody, then yeah, that's all that we can do individually beyond what some of these larger movements do politically. I mean, you have to be the, the, the change that you want to see first and foremost. All right. That's Gandhi, isn't it? I don't know. I'm pretty sure it's Gandhi. I'm pretty sure it's a Gandhi quote. <laughs> be the change you want to see in the world. Pretty sure it's Gandhi. I am... I am so deep, I'm not even aware of it at this wow. point. I'm so connected to self. All right. Uh, do you, you want to wrap it up for this week? Then we went off on a non-fitness. I mean, I think that was pretty good. Uh, there's so much more we could talk about on, like, in general. I could go and, like, talk about healthcare and, like, what's going on with healthcare. I think we could probably talk about that some other time. Maybe after, yeah, we maybe can talk, after, especially from the medical, yeah. you, you've been in the hospitals now and seeing some of the impacts, um, especially in the civilian hospitals that you're in. Uh, go back and talk about obesity-related uh, illness, um, some of the costs that you know of, you know, not to be specific types of drugs that we're giving, the average cost of individuals going uh, for these checkups and what's included in a plan versus what we really don't need that we're probably paying for as, uh, you know, with our insurance. And that's something we can definitely talk about later. Yeah, maybe not so much about numbers because I don't know any of the numbers. But I can give a general scheme of things and explain some things and some behind-the-scenes stuff, I'd imagine. But I saw actually, I don't really know that much about the insurance and billing stuff because that's still like a very, very black box to me. I only see the healthcare side. I don't see the, the finance and billing side which is always i think that's the crux of the issue not necessarily medicine you know well yeah it's the costs and hospitals increase the cost because they know insurance is going to pay i mean from not to belabor the point but if you go back and say elizabeth warren and bernie sanders want free college for all well that means then that schools can probably say okay if tuition here is 55k a year but we know that the government's going to pay for it we can just say it's 60k a year because they have to pay for it or that's just going to make graduate programs twice as expensive because it's not going to be covered uh, by loans any longer for individuals that are going to college because we're removing that from the government's hands because we're giving a free higher education to every single citizen. Yeah. You know, if we do the same thing with healthcare that we are there, you're now just providing an opportunity for very greedy hospitals and insurance agencies to pocket off of maybe some of the generosity right, right, uh, right. that the government wants to extend. Yeah. Everything has a price. <gasps> Nothing in this world is free. There's no such thing as a free lunch. Tans to fall. You know where that's from? The Goonies? No. It's from The Moon is a Harsh Mistress by Robert Heinlein. That's my favorite sci-fi book. Did I ever tell you that? Isn't that the moon is a harsh mistress? Yeah, that's, that's not what I just said. No, you said it. Uh, you might have said that. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, did I just fucking say that? Yeah, that's my favorite book. I uh, love that book. Uh, I think we should wrap up for this week. Uh, 
just uh I, i'm getting kind of hungry it's dinner time yeah i've got to go get on the runner uh guys uh appreciate you sticking around if you've gotten to this point uh you haven't heard anything about the hobbit yet so check in for this week on the weekly dispatch where that's oh, obviously going to be a a topic of conversation um also check out brain body bobby that comes out uh weekly all the important health stuff um make sure you go over to kilomoto and start logging your scores uh and beat bobby on the open workouts uh you'll get stuff um and check us out on Instagram. Hit us up at hq at kernisfit.org. If you've got questions, we've got new programs that are constantly coming out. Shipments for the socks are coming out. Uh, we also have the beanie on the store. Um, all of the uh, profits from a lot of the sales go right back to our scholarship program as well as other uh, small and veteran businesses and other nonprofits uh, that we look to partner with throughout the year to make the community better uh, and more healthy. Yep. And I don't have much to say, although we do have another review on the podcast. It's another th- shout out. You want, you want to read the review or save it for next time? Oh, no. Read the review now. I, why didn't you lead off with that? Well, you kind of took charge and started talking. I don't remember what you started talking about, but. Uh, you just took a start running with CrossFit. So I didn't want to like jump in and talk about reviews because we already started talking about CrossFit. So we'll just do it to the end, I guess. Uh, but uh, did you get? I know I didn't read this other one on this episode on this podcast, uh, but I read it on my podcast uh, on September thirtieth. Callie Two Trills wrote, "Quote: I came across CrossFit overseas and have been hooked ever since." have over a year of doing the workouts and it's one of the only things I look forward to when it comes to my day. I'm actually finishing my functional fitness cycle 1.0 and I'm planning on picking up running and endurance with the run program. Listening to you guys is very intriguing being able to get an in-depth conversation with each individual only speaks to me on the intellectual side, intellectual level of the programming and the knowledge each one provides. Keep up the good work. And then on Wednesday... Oh, thanks so much. That's really nice. Yeah, great. Like That's great feedback. Um, and then on Wednesday, Wreckit Gabe 26 wrote, quote, been following you guys and training programs going on one year. It's been a huge in both personal and military life and helping others with prep for new things to come with ACFT. The podcast helped with understanding things a lot more and great way to break things down instead of doing them because of fad or someone said to. Awesome. Thanks, Gabe. Oh, yeah. Sue Esponte, guys. Thanks, Gabe and Kelly 2 Trills. We appreciate the feedback. And I'm really, I'm actually kind of really glad that that comes through to people. I mean, we try to be, try to, you know, help guys out. And I'm just glad that comes across, you know. No, I, I, absolutely. I think it's a, uh, like we said two years ago when we started this thing, uh, fitness shouldn't be a secret. Uh, and, you know, we have the resources, thankfully, because of the athletes that follow the programming to make sure that, you know, guys are getting 100% of what we can provide, you know, 24 7. Um, while doing everything that we've, we've been able to do. Yep. Oh, and then I want to give a quick shout out. I'm going to a lecture next week for med school talking about cannabis and CBD and pain. So expect a podcast next week about the same about CBD next week. I keep pushing it off. I'll talk about CBD next week. I promise. <laughs> okay. All right. I'll see you. Bye. Later guys. Peace. <laughs>